C. diff spores and more is brought to you in part by Rebiotics, Microbiota Restoration Therapy. Welcome to C. diff spores and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and we welcome our listeners joining us today. It's a great pleasure to welcome our guest today, Sarah Mishi, PhD, working with Rebiotics with a passion for improving patients' lives through clinical trials, and Kathy Bischoff, a C. diff survivor through clinical trials, and patient advocate coordinator with the C. diff Foundation, will be joining us later on in the program. Sarah and Kathy join us today to discuss clinical trial awareness, preventing and treating a C. diff infection. At this time, I would like to welcome our guest, Sarah Mishi, to the program. Thank you for joining us today, Sarah. Thank you, Nancy. It's a pleasure to be here today. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and for joining us today to provide this really important information to our global listeners. And Sarah, could you please try, um, not try, but can you take a moment to introduce yourself and provide a little bit about your background to our audience? Certainly. Thank you. Uh, So as you mentioned, I have a PhD. It's in biochemistry, molecular biology, and biophysics. And what that means is for about 10 years, I worked at the bench. I used cell culture and animals to really study some um, good basic research questions. And for the past 10 years, I've been working in clinical research on quite a range of of diseases, including hepatitis C, uh, recurrent clostridium difficile infections, chronic pain, all using different therapies, including drugs, implantable medical devices, or combination products, which are combination of drug and medical devices. Amazing. Thank you so much for that background, Sarah. And Sarah, what inspired you to go to uh, into the clinical part? Well, that's, um, for me, it really stems from um, my love of puzzles. Uh, going back to my uh, interest in science, when I was younger, I just was drawn to figuring out puzzles with complex problems or systems and well, I was certainly interested in seeing what pieces were involved in those systems or in the puzzles and figuring out how each of them worked. I also really liked how to, you can then put those pieces back together, understanding how even if something is broken, you know, how the system can be pieced back together or perhaps even like a bypass of, um, of that piece so that the picture again continues to work and really as a scientist or researcher, uh, when I was working on my basic research, early research at the bench, I wanted to get closer to helping the patient. And so then I wanted really to bridge my knowledge of science and research principles, to take research from the bench and bring it to the bedside. And in doing so with clinical research, I'm part of diverse teams that are trying to address immediate real world medical questions and challenges. And recently I've been able to do that with rebiotics. Excellent. And thank you so much, Sarah. And we're so glad that you do. And Sarah, what do you consider to be the most important part of clinical research? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I really think there are two things. Uh, First is patience. Uh, Certainly always keeping them in mind as we focus our efforts and our skills to really bring forth 
new therapies that are easy to use, they help patients, minimize side effects. And of course, clinical trials would not be possible if it weren't for the study volunteers. Uh, so the second important part is certainly, yep, sorry, the second important part is uh, really to take those learnings from our clinical research and um, putting those back into designing the next iteration of clinical trials. It helps to bring knowledge of the disease state of therapies full circle and then using that information to continue to improve on the therapies and uh, patient care. It's, uh, for me, it's a part of kind of paying it forward approach. And so with clinical research, we have a great opportunity to ask questions about medical care, about patient care, and through those results and the data, really shape how medicine is practiced. And Nancy, as as I've heard you say, uh, really help them to help you to help others. Oh, thank you so much, Tara. And yes, that science that really has become one of our mottos when we talk about clinical trials with patients, families, and, and even the clinicians. Um, Sarah, what is a clinical trial? Now, here's where we're going to really begin to uh, understand better and learn more from you, and we appreciate this. Sure. Uh, well, a clinical trial is it's research that involves people. And clinical trials, they test whether uh, particular therapies are safe and how well they work. These therapies, uh, you know, that are developed by pharmaceutical and biotech companies, uh, we really focus on, as we bring these therapies to a clinical trial, making sure that the physicians who are involved on our behalf, they're qualified physicians. They're also known as investigators and that those physicians um, conduct the trials as they were designed so we can take that information and then feed it back into patient care and bring forth a new therapy. Okay, and why are clinical trials conducted? Uh, Ultimately, clinical trials really bring forth new tools for patient care and for the physicians to use. Clinical trials, they're designed to answer questions about safety, about how well a therapy works. Um, and until those well-designed clinical trials have been carried out, we simply don't have enough information or enough evidence to know if a treatment is safe and effective. And without clinical trials, there is a risk that people may be given treatments which don't work or may even be harmful. Okay. And Sarah, what, who are the other professionals that you work with uh, when you are conducting research? Oh, great question. It is quite a cross-functional effort and even um, beyond the company. Uh, so certainly we work with regulators such as the FDA. We work with physicians, nurses, and other researchers. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, clinical is... Um, clinical research is much, very much an iterative process. So the more we do it, the more we learn, and then we can continue to improve upon the tools that we have to treat and diagnose and cure uh, diseases. And ultimately, this goes back to giving the community the right tools for use and the right patients. 
And so one thing I would like to point out and remind everybody is that the prescription medications that many of us use, such as antibiotics, uh, blood pressure medications, vaccines, they've gone through the research and development process, which includes clinical trials, before they were ever approved by regulatory agencies like the FDA. Good point. Thank you so much, Sarah. And Sarah, who is the FDA? Can you just explain that in a couple of sentences? Sure, sure. So the FDA, they are the U.S. regulators. Uh, They work to protect patients in clinical trials to ensure that patients have the reliable information needed prior to joining clinical trial. They're involved in overseeing the safety of, um, of the U.S. population as new therapies are brought forth. Okay. Now, do all clinical trials need to be FDA monitored? Not all clinical trials, but clinical trials involving drugs that are looking at um, new indications, new disease states, um, or brand new molecule in and of itself. Um, certainly need to be uh, need to go through uh, the FDA for review. Um, there are other ethics boards that um, are in charge of overseeing patients um, that their well-being at a local institution is um, is protected. And so there are many different independent bodies that are involved in really bringing a clinical trial. To, to the point where a product isn't introduced to a patient. Okay, and there's no, there, are, there are not any other ways except that way, correct? For new products that uh, the FDA is, is really the best way to bring a new product forth um, because it has gone through uh, the testing, demonstrated the safety profile, what are the risks, what are the potential benefits, it has gone through demonstrating effectiveness. Is the product effective in the intended patient population? As well as certainly asking questions about is there perhaps a patient population for whom the therapy does not work or should be avoided because of safety concerns unique to uh, their condition. Okay. And Sarah, where can patients find out more information about clinical trials that are in progress? Oh, that's a great question. There are many resources. Um, for many people, the most convenient way to find out information is certainly online. Uh, and this can be done like clinical uh, trial companies, like Rebiotics. When we run clinical trials, we usually post uh, those studies on our own website. And there are also public sites, such as clinicaltrials.gov, which is a national registry, and it describes all of the federally and privately supported clinical trials that are conducted in the U.S. So it's also great to have groups like the CDF Foundation, Nancy, who believes so strongly in clinical trials because you collect information about trials and share it on your own pages uh, for many different companies. And this really serves almost as a one-stop shop uh, for patients. Uh, see, there's, if you want to know more about volunteering for a clinical trial, or just are unsure of the process, 
the National Institutes of Health is a great resource. And perhaps a very close-to-home option, which doesn't require use of the Internet, is to simply ask your doctor. My own doctor's office has posters announcing that they are conducting clinical trials. It's just kind of in a generic fashion. There are also some that are specific, uh, specifically advertising for um, a particular clinical trial that that site is um, participating in. Okay, and those are really great sources. And Sarah, thank you so much for sharing this information for our global listeners today. We're going to pause at this time for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing clinical trial awareness, preventing and treating C. diff infection with Sarah Mishi, PhD. Please stay tuned. We will be right back after these messages. Making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Rebiotics, a fairing pharmaceuticals company, has set out to understand the connection between the microbiome and disease through clinical study and innovative science. Our clinical studies investigate the potential of the microbiome as a therapeutic option for patients with unmet medical needs. Our focus is currently on patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. Partnerships drive innovation in the growing field of microbiome technologies, and we're excited to continue to share our findings in the space. Visit Rebiotics.com, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program and thank you for joining us today. It's a great pleasure to welcome our guest, Sarah Mishi, PhD with Rebiotics, Improving Patients' Lives Through Clinical Trials, and Kathy Bishop, a C. diff survivor through a clinical trial and patient advocate coordinator with the C. diff Foundation, who will be joining us later on in the program. 
Sarah and Kathy are here today to discuss clinical trial awareness, preventing and treating a C. diff infection. At this time, it is a pleasure to re-welcome our guest, Sarah Mishi. Welcome back to the program, Sarah. Thank you, Nancy. Oh, thank you. And Sarah, you have provided us with a wealth of information. And now to delve even deeper into the clinical trial phases and, and what it all means to us is maybe you can take a moment and explain why companies and physicians, why do they do clinical trials? Well, as many of us in the, in the profession, uh, biotech, pharmaceuticals, even medical devices, we're all focused on patients and developing therapies that are that are continuously better for patients, uh, whether that's easier, fewer side effects. Um, but as we develop the therapies, we really need to know, does the treatment work? Is it, does it work better than other treatments? Does it have any side effects? What are they? Uh, and so then in doing so, the goal is to design clinical studies for each therapy that is able to address questions, uh, specific questions about safety and efficacy for the new therapy. Okay. And what is a typical path for a drug to be developed, Sarah? Oh, a typical path for bringing um, a new drug or new therapy to market involves a great deal of research before it is ever introduced to humans, before we ever get to the point of a clinical trial. There's a great deal of what I call bench work, basic research work, um, some studies may be done in animals um, to look at potential side effects or toxicity concerns. And then that the product, those that are successful, move on to clinical trials, which typically occur in three different phases, a phase one, phase two, phase three, prior to being marketed. And within each of these phases, there can be multiple clinical trials. Okay. And Sarah, can you take us and tell us more about each of these phases? Certainly. Um, so the very earliest ones, the preclinical basic research, um, frequently animals are used um, to really provide a needed foundation for our understanding of how the product or therapy may affect humans. And once that product is ready for clinical trial, um, an early phase of first exposure to humans is frequently called a phase one study. And so the purpose of those studies, the phase one study, it's the initial assessment of safety of a therapy. And it typically uh, involves a small number of people for the first time. And these are going to be healthy volunteers, again, focusing on safety of the therapy and possibly to evaluate some doses, dose ranges. A phase two is when uh, we're really moving into addressing the question of does it work? We're assessing the efficacy of the therapy. And so the drug is typically given to a larger group of patients. It can be several dozens to a couple hundreds or thousands. And in phase two, we're typically targeting patients for whom the therapy is intended. And so these are tend to be sick patients. Um, many of the phase two trials may be randomized, which means the patient may receive the new therapy or an existing therapy or potentially even a new therapy versus a placebo, an inactive therapy. 
sometimes these phase two studies are also blinded, which means that neither the patient nor the physician know which treatment they're receiving uh, during the conduct of the study. And at the end of the study, it may be revealed which product that patient received. And then there's a phase three study, which is frequently referred to as our pivotal studies. It is kind of the last layer of clinical studies, last phase, where we're now, we have locked down, this is our patient population. We know the safety profile. We know the efficacy. We're now, um, we're now confirming the efficacy and therapy, providing full information so that we can request approval for marketing of a drug from the FDA. Okay. And Sarah, can you explain where placebos play a part in clinical trials? Yes, placebos, uh, particularly for um, new disease states uh, for which there isn't an existing approved comparable therapy, such as uh, recurrent Clostridium difficile um, for prevention of recurrent Clostridium difficile. Placebos help to um, really help us to maintain a fair evaluation of the safety profile of the product. And so in placebo-controlled trials, patients are frequently randomized to one of two treatments or one of multiple treatments, one of which is a placebo. And then the people, the physicians who are evaluating a patient throughout that study, they don't want to be biased by how they uh, are evaluating a patient's efficacy or a patient's safety by knowing if that patient received the active or the placebo. And so it really comes down to maintaining the integrity of the clinical study and helps everyone to understand the true safety profile and the true efficacy rates of new products. And so as a patient, if you're involved in a clinical study and you're hesitant about whether or not to participate because of... um, Concerns about receiving the active or the placebo product, just your own heroism in volunteering for a clinical study is uh, is a great uh, is a great asset and is uh, what really helps to continue to bring those new therapies to market so that it does become market approved and can be available for patients in the future. Okay. And Sarah, why do companies ask patients to participate in clinical trials instead of just trusting animal models? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Well, um, animals are not people, and animal models um, are quite limited in some of the information that they can give us about um, the safety profile uh, once that product is introduced to humans. So it's certainly doesn't substitute um, for research that um, for how that therapy really is going to interact with the human body. Okay, makes sense. And Sarah, what does it take to get a clinical trial started? Oh, quite a bit. That's another great question. Um, It's important to remember, particularly for the audience, that there are strict rules um, in conducting clinical trials. And so certainly 
great ideas for clinical trials um, should have sound justification and be met with plans that protect the rights of the patients and verify the quality and integrity of the clinical trial data. So in bringing a clinical trial to the physician, the company first needs to pull together all of the available information about that therapy, about the disease state, information about safety risks, pull that information together, perhaps other information about prior studies. And then we submit an application to, again, agency like the FDA before ever beginning the clinical research. We present them with our body of knowledge, information about our manufacturing or the controls we have in place to ensure that the therapy that's delivered to a trial volunteer is what's intended. And so when that application is made, agency like the FDA reviews it. And then in parallel, there's also a lot going on on the clinical trial operations side that um, is working to identify physicians who are qualified to conduct clinical trials and verify that they have the experience, the space, and that training of the physicians occurs. Okay, Sarah, thanks. And why does it take so long for some drugs to become available, Sarah? (laughs) Oh, well, as I mentioned, the different phases of clinical trials. Before that, there's the research. There's just a lot of time that's needed. There are a lot of manpower, a lot of resources that are needed, um, certainly collaborating across groups. And so it's time and it's money, but it's all with a focus to the patient to make sure that we're bringing therapies that are safe, effective, that the benefits outweigh the risks so that we can continue to improve patient care. Okay. And Sarah, before we go to break, can you briefly um, describe the time for the sponsor to generate compiled data um, and answer any questions patients have about a clinical trial? Um, Are you referring specific to uh, consenting a patient into a clinical trial? Absolutely. Exactly. Yes. Yes, the informed consent process is key function um, or key activity in every clinical trial. Uh, so informed consent is, as I said, is really a process. It is not simply signing a document. The patient needs to be made aware of the purpose of the study, what um, may be happening to them during the study, what tests or activities are required for them to participate. They need to know what the risks are for participating in the clinical study and also uh, what benefits they may receive. Not every therapy is guaranteed a success, and so it's important for patients to know what they're signing up for, but then also to be reminded that participation in studies is voluntary. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for providing the who, what, and why key points in clinical trials. We are going to pause for a brief commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing clinical trial awareness, preventing and treatment of C. diff infections with our guest, Sarah Mishi, PhD. Please stay tuned. We'll return right after these messages. (music) 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. To help support the C. diff Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate or call toll-free 1-844-4-C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Rebiotics, a faring pharmaceuticals company, has set out to understand the connection between the microbiome and disease through clinical study and innovative science. Our clinical studies investigate the potential of the microbiome as a therapeutic option for patients with unmet medical needs. Our focus is currently on patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. Partnerships drive innovation in the growing field of microbiome technologies, and we're excited to continue to share our findings in the space. Visit Rebiotics.com, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff spores and more. And we thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce our guest, Sarah Mishi, PhD with Rebiotics, Improving Patients' Lives Through Clinical Trials. Kathy Bischoff, a C. diff survivor through a clinical trial, will be joining us later on in today's program. Sarah joins us today to discuss clinical trial awareness, preventing and treating C. diff infections. Welcome back to the program, Sarah, and thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Nancy. It's a pleasure. Well, the pleasure is ours, and we thank you for all the information you're sharing with us. And Sarah, why should a patient consider participating in a clinical trial? Well, some patients choose to volunteer, choose to participate in in trials because they want to contribute to the advancement of medical knowledge and such. Uh, But certainly volunteers um, frequently want to play a more active role in their own own care because they want to get more information about the treatments that may be available that are currently under study, um, as well as further understanding their own disease and the progression of their disease. when patients um, really decide to volunteer for clinical studies, um, their welfare and rights are 
are protected by a special committee called um, an ethics review board or institutional review board. And it's their job to review and approve clinical trials, make sure that patients' rights are protected. And so having all of this kind of come together um, can uh, help protect and help um, ease the mind of some patients as well as making it um, perhaps more appealing to participate in advancing um, information about their own condition or future therapies. Okay. And Sarah, do patients undergo an assessment process prior to being considered into a trial? Yes. Um, so every, um, every clinical study has, um, has some requirements about who, um, who can qualify for that clinical study. And those requirements, qual- qualifications are really set to help define that clinical study. And so as far as qualifying for a clinical study, patients are seen by a physician or a member of their staff, and they're evaluated to see if they have the right condition, if it's the right stage um, to participate in that study, if they meet sometimes their age uh, limitations or, um, or if it's sex or some other, uh, perhaps a comorbidity that may exclude a patient from participating in a particular clinical trial. And so, again, this is all done to make sure that we understand the patient population that is being studied and that we understand their response to the therapy. Okay. And Sarah, what advice do you have for patients considering a a clinical trial? Oh, uh, that's great. Really, patients need to be honest with uh, the physician with the care team about any concerns they have um, if, and any questions they have, not just not limited to the start of the study, but throughout the study. If they ever have um, experienced something different that might qualify as like an adverse event, a patient really needs to be complete in the responses uh, to a physician. Not saying, oh, you know, it's the same. It's like, well, it's the same. Is it a new kind of same? Is it a worsening? Um, and so patients um, must start about their own health history and throughout the study, continuing to have um, an open, honest conversation with the physician and their care team. And again, this really goes back to uh, what you've said, Nancy, which is to help them the physicians to help you to help others. Exactly. And Sarah, we know that there's a pathway the patient goes through to enroll in a trial. Uh, Can you take a few minutes to explain that to our listening uh, audience? Certainly. Uh, So as you said, volunteering in a clinical trial, so participation is voluntary. And every patient, every volunteer has the right to know and understand what will happen in a clinical trial, and that goes back to the informed consent process. So once a patient has had a chance to evaluate, read the informed consent form, ask all of their questions, exhaustively answered all of their questions, and assuming they qualify for that trial, a patient will sign the informed consent. There may be a physical exam that occurs right then. The patient may need to come back a different visit, um, 
but immediately the patient is under the care of this um, investigator, this um, clinical study researcher, and they're evaluated uh, very closely to make sure that they capture all of the changes that may occur to that patient, whether it's an improvement or worsening or a new onset of any symptoms. And then throughout that full clinical study, the patient may be seen quite frequently or less frequently, but there are continuous contact points with that clinical study site. And again, the goal is to capture the information that's needed to evaluate the therapy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Fantastic. And thank you, Sarah. And Sarah, what kind of impact does a patient's participation have on the big picture of the drug development? Oh, patients are are the reason why we work so hard. They are certainly the focus. Um, of our efforts, and it's certainly how I start and end each day. And with the patients who volunteer for participation in the clinical studies, they are the ones that help shape our understanding of diseases, of therapies, and continue advancement of medical knowledge and continue advancing um, new tools for physicians to help themselves or their loved ones. So they have a big impact. They are the big impact. They are also um, really, for me, the end result of the work that I do. Okay. And do that, we know that the uh, patients have choices. And with the, is everything explained to them uh, about the clinical trial when they come into the clinical trial for questions or to be evaluated? Their questions need to be um, answered before they enter into clinical trial. They need to have an understanding of, uh, of what they're signing up for and what will be asked of them to participate in the trial. And certainly if there is new information that is made available during the course of the clinical study, the patient also needs to be made aware of that new information at that time. And so there's continuous communication and information that is shared throughout the study um, as, it's, as it's required. Okay, that's great. And Sarah, if a patient enters a clinical trial and chooses this isn't for me, I don't want to do this anymore. Are, are they allowed to change their minds in the middle of the trial? Yes, they are. Uh, participation is fully voluntary. Um, it is not a condition of their receiving medical care for their treatment. What it means is that they would not be able to receive the um, investigational therapy, the one that's currently being used in the clinical trial for the purpose of that clinical trial, or at least in that way of the clinical trial. So if a patient um, chooses to not participate after signing up for a clinical trial, they can certainly not do so. I would thank them for considering participating in the trial. Um, But the patient, um, but we still need... um, 
a number of patients to participate in the clinical studies in order to bring forth new therapies, in order to bring those therapies to the patients and the physicians. Okay. Sarah, are the patients um, followed by the clinical site um, for a set amount of time? Yes, and that is described in um, the clinical trial protocol. It will also be um, explained in the informed consent and should be discussed with the physician so the patients know uh, how frequently they need to come into the office for a visit, um, if they need to arrange uh, travel uh, considerations or if there are phone calls that can be made. Um, the type of interaction is fully dependent on the type of study that's uh, underway and uh, the patient population. And so the level of engagement, the level of interaction is unique to each study, but overall patients uh, who are participating in clinical studies, they are uh, kind of evaluated, assessed more closely than they um, would likely be during their regular care because they're participating in this additional activity. Okay. And Sarah, when a patient, okay, when a clinical trial finishes, say, phase two or phase three, do um, does the organization or does the clinical site investigator, does it go back to the FDA for a meeting? How was that process done? Yes, throughout the full development process um, in the U.S., there are interactions with the FDA. Um, we're con- constantly kind of um, giving them information, soliciting questions, um, asking for guidance or asking for their interpretation about what is needed in order to bring this product to market. Uh, and so once a phase three study is completed, assuming everything looks favorable, the sponsor, biotech pharmaceutical company, compiles, again, all that information from their full experience across all of the clinical studies, all of their research, and, again, presents that to the agency and asks for uh, permission to market the drug. Okay. Well, Sarah, we thank you so much for providing this in-depth information to our global listeners. At this time, we're going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will have the pleasure of introducing Kathy Bischoff, a CGIP survivor through a clinical trial, and reviewing the key points shared in this episode with our guest, Sarah Mishi, PhD with Rebiotics, Improving Patient Lives Through Clinical Trials. Please stay tuned. We will return right after these messages. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Rebiotics, a fairing pharmaceuticals company, has set out to understand the connection between the microbiome and disease through clinical study and innovative science. Our clinical studies investigate the potential of the microbiome as a therapeutic option for patients with unmet medical needs. Our focus is currently on patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. 
Partnerships drive innovation in the growing field of microbiome technologies, and we're excited to continue to share our findings in the space. Visit Rebiotics.com, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and we thank our listeners joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce our guest, Sarah Mishi, Ph.D., working with Rebiotics with a passion for improving patients' lives through clinical trials, and our welcome guest, Kathy Bischoff, a C. diff survivor through a clinical trial and patient advocate coordinator with the C. diff Foundation. Welcome back to the program, Sarah, and we welcome you to the program, Kathy. Thank you, Nancy. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you again. Oh, thank you, Kathy. Thanks for taking time out of your busy day to join us. And Kathy, would you mind taking a few minutes to share your journey with our global listeners and how you learned about clinical trials treating C. diff infections? I'd be pleased to, Nancy. Early in October of 2014, I got diverticulitis. And I was given antibiotics by my physicians to cure the diverticulitis. I had another reoccurrence in mid-October, and then I had yet another occurrence in November. And each time, I was again prescribed antibiotics. In late December, I became hospitalized with it. And on discharge, the discharging physician said to me, oh, by the way, you have C. diff. I had never heard of it. I asked him, well, what is C. diff? And he said to me, it's a colitis infection. I gave you a prescription, and I was dismissed from the hospital. Now, in early January, Nancy, I had yet another diverticulitis attack, and along with that attack, I was given more antibiotics. So at the end of January, it was decided that the sigmoid portion of my colon should be removed, and that was done. After the surgical procedure, I went in to have a checkup a week later, and I just didn't feel good. 
my surgeon admitted me to the hospital, did some testing, and we found out that I had C. diff again. I was again treated for it. I was released from the hospital, but the infection was horrendously persistent, and it reoccurred six additional times. And each time it occurred, it was more vicious than the time before. And each time that the infection presented itself, it was always several weeks after treatment with conventional approved drugs. Many different ways of getting the drugs were given uh, from four times a day for 10 days. I was put on various tapers. And the last taper I was on was a Vanco taper, and it lasted for nine months. And about three weeks after it was concluded, I started having symptoms. I was positive that I could not have C. diff again, yet I was given a test, and the test proved positive, and my C. diff infection was back. Mm-mm. I decided at that point that I could no longer go down that path, and I decided that I needed to start advocating on my own behalf. So I went to my computer, I Googled C. diff, and I found the CEDA Foundation and its global community support. So I called into one of those support sessions, and I learned about home environment disinfecting, diet, and most importantly, Nancy, I learned about clinical trials. I truly believe that the CEDA Foundation and the clinical trial was my lifesaver. I was accepted into a clinical trial And Nancy, the administrators were compassionate, they were understanding, they were extremely knowledgeable, they were just absolutely awesome. So in May of 2016, they gave me their trial drug, and I was closely monitored for a six-month period of time. And today I'm happy to report that I am C-diff-free. So in my opinion, Nancy, this clinical trial saved my life. And hopefully my participation in the trial study is going to advance this drug to be FDA approved and to be able to help others rid themselves of this horrific infection. So in conclusion, Nancy, I can't emphasize how the role of clinical trials is so vitally important to us all. And were it not for the CETA Foundation, I would not even have been aware that they existed. Okay. Well, Kathy, I don't want to cry. Um, you thank you so much for your powerful words and your inspiration um, and for sharing your testimony with our global listeners today. Uh, we are so pleased and grateful that you not only advocated for yourself, which is a big part of this, uh, but you found the foundation and you participated in the support group to learn a lot of different avenues that you needed to, especially clinical trials. And we are so thankful that you did and so happy that you are, your infection is resolved. And Kathy, would you like to share any closing comments before the program ends today? I guess looking back on the whole journey, Nancy, it's something that I would never, ever wish anyone would have to have. I certainly would not look forward to ever having to repeat it. And time and again, I have thanked you And I have thanked the pharmaceutical industries for taking the time and the initiative and going into such detail in creating new drugs and new things that don't 
necessarily have the same impact as the drugs I took because they didn't work for me. So anytime that anyone talks to me about any type of an infection or anything that's going on, I now have the knowledge and the, and the sincere belief that they need to look into a clinical trial. They're out there to help us to save lives. We can participate, and I really feel strongly that not only have I got my life back because of this clinical trial, but in some small way, my participation is going to help move the industry forward so that others that are suffering with infections and with diseases and are not responding to clinical types of prescription drugs and treatments are going to have an opportunity to get their lives back as I did. Exactly. And thank you so much, Kathy, for all you do. For everyone um, who is combating a C. diff infection. So we thank you for that, and thank you for joining us today. And Sarah, do you have any closing comments you'd like to share before we close the program today? Yes, uh, just very briefly. Thank you, Nancy. Uh, really, thank you for your foundation's work to really raise awareness about C. diff infections and for building that global community for patients and their families, their caregivers, to connect with and to know that they are not alone. And thank you both, Nancy and Kathy, for your inspiration. No, we thank you too, Sarah, and for all that you and Rebiotics and the organizations are doing out there. And uh, on behalf of the, um, the, you know, the CDF Foundation, we wish to acknowledge all of the organizations around the globe dedicated to improving health, the organizations and professionals dedicated to medical research and for developing new products, addressing CDF infection prevention treatments, protecting the gut microbiome, and assessing and addressing environmental safety worldwide. To learn more about clinical trials in progress, preventing and treating C. diff infections, along with clinical trials preventing and treating recurrent C. diff infections, and most importantly, how you and your family members may be able to take part in a clinical study, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website, www.cdifffoundation.org or www.clinicaltrials.gov and learn more about C. diff infection prevention and treatments on clinical trials that are in progress. Please help them to help you to help others. We send out our get well wishes to all patients being treated and recovering from a C. diff infection and the many wellness training illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corrala, with a re- our reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing, and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. together.